You're listening to Fix Me a Drink, a Flaviar podcast. Welcome to another edition of Fix Me a Drink. I'm Noah Rothbaum, Flaviar's head of cocktails and spirits. Joining me as always is my colleague and co-host, David Wondrick. How are you, Dave? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I am very excited for today's episode i feel like i say that always oh this should be fun but this one's gonna be a really good one our our old friend uh lou bryson is coming on who is uh whiskey expert uh whiskey lover you know he's a font of knowledge uh a native son of pennsylvania we'll be talking about rye whiskey he wrote one of the great books about whiskey uh absolutely and is just uh, yeah an all round uh, all round whiskey person in the best possible way. For this episode, we're getting sort of into uh, sort of nitty gritty of rye history and dispelling certain myths and legends, separating fact from fiction, uh, the the chaff from the the way. What, what's what's the expression? Uh, <laughs> the wheat from the chaff. Wheat from the chaff. It would be the rye right? from the chaff. I, rye, I was trying to think of a rye one. A rye from the yeah. chaff. Who better than, than Lou? So uh, as we pour ourselves some glasses of rye whiskey, we'll get Lou on the line. Welcome, Lou. Thank you for joining us today. Always, always wonderful to have you on the show. Happy to bring it. Hey, Lou. Hey, dude. Today's conversation is obviously a topic close to all of us. You, you actually live in Pennsylvania, am I still, if I'm not mistaken? Right in the middle of it. And have basically always lived in Pennsylvania, right? Pretty much, a little bit outside, but yeah. Not to, at least wherever you've lived, it's been close to rye country, like, or or, or close mm-hmm. enough to get rye, right? Although I didn't start, I started late. I didn't start drinking, drinking rye until the 90s. I'm embarrassed. That's still ahead of the curve for most people by about That's true. 30, That's 30 true. odd years, give or take, or 25 <laughs> years. We're going to give you OG status, whether or not they're drinking in the 80s or 90s here. That's about when I started, too, is I think the early 90s. We're talking about the 1890s, right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, totally. of course. It, yeah. I'd say late 90s was, was when I it started to, when I even realized that there was rye. And, and the rest of the time, I've been struggling to figure out what is rye. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. All I knew was it tasted a, a, a little different from bourbon. I had had uh, a couple unfortunate experiences with bourbon, and <laughs> and it took me a while to get back to it. But rye tasted uh, less. Uh, it tasted different enough that uh, that my body said, "Oh yeah, that's okay." All joking aside, if if we if we did actually drink in the 1890s we, we'd have a better handle on today's topic that's true that's exactly right well there are people we could ask right yeah. that's true okay. from the 1890s not, i don't know anybody who was so alive in the 1890s now but no, um, no i don't think anybody is if, if we were no, there, I wouldn't trust their memory anyway no at this no. point but it, it is a question that you know i feel like the history of rye haunts the three of us in particular because all the time people are are telling us about what rye used to be like brands are introducing all types of historically accurate i'll put that in quotes air quotes you know whiskeys this is the right way to do things you know that's Mm -hmm. the wrong way to do things and 
you know, and most people, I mean, who's to say, right? So you go along with it, but I think the three of us have, have gone down enough research rabbit holes to begin to sort of question <laughs> some of these claims and, you know, styles of whiskey, right? There were all types of, you know, supposed styles of whiskey made in different areas of the country. And today we're going to solve it all. <laughs> Wrap it up. Put a bow on it. Everything you ever want to know about rye today is then we're gonna be done. You know, I wish that was true. Yeah, there's some things that I think uh, will are, are going to be very difficult to solve, and and some of those are going to be are difficult to solve simply because people don't want to do it. That's true. How, how well, do you mean what, that? Yeah, like I, I mean, I think we got a pretty good handle on you know what rye whiskey was before prohibition, right? And, you know, we know there were two kinds, really. There was the Eastern kind and the Western kind. And then there was stuff that was fiddling around and adulterated and blended and didn't come out of the distillery that way. But the two kinds, you know, were quite different. And uh, we've still got one of them is, is a living tradition. And the other one we haven't really managed to get back because it's very expensive and difficult to do. Yes. And only one person has actually done it. <laughs> I think I think the conclusion that you have just reached, let's rewind a little bit, right? So so rye, like it's a whiskey, right? Predominantly rye, right? It can be all rye. People have made it from a mix of grains. Obviously, mm -hmm. George Washington made it as distillery after he left the White House. It's, it's very popular, right? Yeah, and he made it as a mix of grains, which was one of the styles. Right, in a pot still. And then... Hired a Scotsman to do it. Hired a Scotsman to do it, James Anderson. <laughs> made it yeah. Scots style. You know? right. Yeah, right. They used mixes of grains in Scotland at the time. And it was like, yeah, I could do this. You use some of this and some of that, and we're all good. And then obviously, you know, it's predominantly made in... New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland, right? The mid-Atlantic states, mm -hmm. right? Very, very popular, right? And and you have almost bourbon drinkers and rye drinkers, right? And now, and then, you know, fast forward to today where just a few years ago, rye was like on life support, right? Mm -hmm. it was circling the train. The few distillers that made it made it one day a year. That was more than enough to suffice for the demand, right? And we all, I mean, I, I thought that rye was going to die, maybe. That idea definitely passed through my mind several times, you know, years ago, because it didn't yeah, seem like... I thought like was going to die, so... <laughs> well, that too, I mean, right, exactly, that we had bigger fish to fry. Almost have to suspect that if, David, you and I both started drinking it in the 90s, maybe we actually saved it. It was such a damn small thing. <laughs> two drinkers might have been it. Wait, we sold two bottles of rye in New York City? <laughs> There's an upswell here. Oh, my God. Start up the line yeah. again. <laughs> exactly. Blow off the dust. Jimmy Russell told me they were making 16,000 cases of rye in 1996. Total. Total. The industry. That, that sounds about right. You know, they made it one day a year. Yeah. In, in, on all the distilleries that made it. And that was like three distilleries made it. And uh, and apparently it was mostly being drunk in Wisconsin, which, you know, that yeah. they're the people who drink most of everything. Yeah. It seems. The brandy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You could get it in California. You could get it. Maryland. A little bit in New York. You could get it in Maryland. Right. You could get it. You couldn't really get it in Pennsylvania, which is the weird thing. Not really. Uh, Jim Beam Rye was what we were getting. 
And and once Mictors closed, right? That was in oh, uh, yeah. the original yeah. Mictors. Yeah. Valentine's Day from what I from your article that I remember from the Daily Beast. But yeah, I mean, given that it was made one day a year, they'd have to find yeah. the recipe. Nobody liked making it. No one liked making it. You imagine half the day people were just sitting around complaining and trying to figure out what they did last year, right? Mm-hmm. So it's about not right. even a full day, probably it's three quarters of a day, half a day of actual yeah. distilling. Yeah, that's 16,000 cases. So again, I mean, I think small miracle that we still have rye. You could walk into most liquor stores today. And- By the way, just to put that in perspective, Fireball, I just saw the new figures, 7 million cases <laughs> for Fireball last year. So That's just one brand. That's one brand. Yeah. I mean, 16,000 is a, is a rounding error. Well, like also Jimmy used to tell me, yeah, we spill more uh, bourbon in, in a day than we make rye in a year. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't exaggerating that much, you know? No. Dave and I did an episode of, of Fix Me Drink a couple, couple months ago with uh, Eddie Russell, obviously Jimmy Russell's son. They both work at Wild Turkey and, and talking about, you know, the fact that there's a real generational divide, obviously, between bourbon drinkers and rye drinkers and mm-hmm. Jimmy, who started at what almost 60 years ago at wild turkey at this point 70 almost 70 years ago at wild yeah, turkey, it was, like, um 54 i think he started right so uh, 1954 yeah so i mean it's a long time ago but like obviously no love lost there for him and, and raw he he is <laughs> yeah. a bourbon drinker 100 percent. yeah he made it because he had to he had to but okay so we get to a point a few years ago where we're making barely any a year by people who basically don't care for the whiskey right so it's no wonder that we've lost so much history tradition mythology so now that like folks like us and and, and bartenders and, and other whiskey drinkers suddenly discover rye there's a sort of mad rush to figure out what is rye in in all these supposed styles even as somebody who does this it's getting confusing right there's Mangahila, there's Western Pennsylvania, there's New York. I mean, I'm literally on a committee with the uh, Pennsylvania Distillers Guild. We're trying to write a a definition for regulation. We're not, we're getting nowhere. No, because nobody's going to agree. No, no. And, and the thing is, apparently that's how it was back in the day. Yeah. You dug that out on the, on the three chamber stills. Sure. There were a lot of them, but not everyone was using them. Yeah. Almost everybody was using them. Except for the real small places that use pot stills. Some pieces re- places were using heated warehouses. Some places weren't. Yep. Some were yep. using brick warehouses. Some were using yep. wood brick houses. Yeah. I think, the you know, originally the style came in to say that this is like the German style rye, right? Because the, the, the first people who made rye popular in America were Germans in Pennsylvania. They were all Germans because they made the same spirit they made in Germany. Malted rye, they used malted rye and unmalted rye together uh, and fermented it and distilled it in pot stills and uh, distilled it with all the grain in the still, which the Scots and the Irish thought was insane because it burns and it's a royal pain in the ass, but it cooks all that grain and you get really high quality animal feed. Yes. Much better mm-hmm. animal feed. And your farmers, you know, you've got animals to feed. Yeah. Right. You got to look at the whole thing. So it, it's part of the cycle. They, you know, there's a there's a German verse that's like that kind of lays it all out. Uh that you know, to the effect that uh 
we we distill the rye. We you know the 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 stillage feeds the pigs or feeds the animals. The animals make dung, which fertilizes the fields. The the the, the grain grows, and then we distill it. You know, and without without the uh, the spent distillate, the only trees that are going to grow are the are, are are pines to make our coffins from. Uh, wow! Wow! Trust the German to go dark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything is the apocalypse over there. If I'm not mistaken, there's almost automatically a misunderstanding because the Germans in Pennsylvania are called Pennsylvania Dutch, right? They're not called Pennsylvania. So immediately already, this is confusing, right? Because you have German people who are being called Pennsylvania Dutch. Because it, even as a kid, I was like, Dutch people make pretzels? Like, this does yeah. not make sense, right? But yeah. like, once you realize that they're Germans, then the whole pretzel tradition actually makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it's it's Dutch is Deutsch, you know. Yeah. Right, but it but like in America, like it it becomes Dutch. So that's but, the first mystery, right? That that getting back to these Germans, right? You know, so they used all rye, and that was one style of whiskey, and that's evidently what uh, they hardly anybody tells you, or almost nobody tells you what Monongahela rye is, and back in the day, because you just right. kind of knew. Yeah. And there's one person, you know, there's one ad that says Monongahela, old Monongahela rye. This is from the early 1820s, distilled from pure rye. And I think that was the, the distinction right there. The rest of the stuff was mash bill whiskey, like we made in America and like they made in Scotland and Ireland at the time. And the Monongahela is obviously the river, right? That's that's yeah, what it's the river, river that runs, you know, uh, eventually into into Pittsburgh. It runs north into Pittsburgh. It's a weird north running river there, and then uh, and then becomes the Ohio, and 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 off it goes. And that's something that we see a lot of, you know, that people often raise. This is the real Monongahela style of fry whiskey. This yeah, is and everybody's like, saying is... one thing or another thing, but yeah, some of them are making it indeed from pure rye, right? But others are just saying, you know, anything in Pennsylvania is Monongahela rye, and that's not true. No, it, it's, it's also. I would say you you kind of need the the three chamber still that like people like Overholt used. And do you have to be in the Mon Valley? That's a whole other thing. Do you have to be in the Monongahela River Valley to make Monongahela rye? Well, half the Monongahela rye was made north of Pittsburgh, <laughs> and not <laughs> in the Monongahela Valley at all. It was made like you know on the Allegheny or or, or, or others. So. <laughs> That's the funny thing where these terms, we see them on old labels, right? Ads, and they start, yeah. you know, I mean, really old ads, like, you know, even before the idea of like advertising. I think the earliest for Monongahela Rye I've seen is somebody uh, maybe in Natchez advertising barrels of, of old Monongahela Rye in 1807. That's old. Wow. For American wow. whiskey, that's real old. That's really old. Yeah, it is. It is. Hell, that's pretty old for scotch, right? Scotch whiskey up until like 1720 or 30 was a flavored thing, you know? Oh, right. It wasn't it wasn't the, the 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 pure juice of the grain we know today. Or their biggest customer was were the gin distillers who'd take their distillery. Yeah. Distillery. yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we 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 talked a little bit about the fake Dutch, but also the real Dutch play a like a role here too, right? I mean, I know all three of us have have looked into and written about obviously Dutch influence on America. I mean, 
New Amsterdam, you know, all of the names, right? But the Dutch also, you know, Geneva, the national spirit of of Holland and and, and the Netherlands is closer not to gin, the sort of bastardized British version, but almost closer to whiskey. The original recipe for it, that, you know, the Dutch believed everybody should do kind of the same thing. So, you know, they're not big individualists. And early on, they weren't. There was a standard recipe and everybody made it in a lot of small distilleries. Uh, And it was one part barley malt, two parts unmalted rye. Yeah. And then a little bit of juniper berries and a little bit of hops, you know, and and that was it. That's um, pretty much flavored whiskey, you know, in a pot still. I mean, I've had I've had seven, eight year old Geneva and it it's whiskey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just it's just whiskey. And what do they serve it with? A pint of beer. Yeah. Like it's a shot of whiskey yeah. and beer. I mean, it's also they were perfectly willing to leave the uh, the, the juniper out. <laughs> For the American market, there's one guy who testifies to the Royal Commission in in 1808, uh, 1908 in in England. He says, "Yeah, for the American market, we don't we just don't put the juniper in." Right. <laughs> but one of the first distillery, or the first distillery that like anybody can find record of, opens on Staten Island, right? Like of all places, you know, in in the middle of you know the Dutch colony, right, of, of New Amsterdam. Yeah. Well, making, we don't know what they were making. We don't know what they were making, but they're I've making. I've looked through every every Dutch wow. record that's, that's been uh, printed, uh, you know, and, and there there's quite a lot. Most of the early records of of the Dutch colony uh, were printed in the 19th century, and I've looked through them in great detail, looking for anything about this distillery. And the only thing it ever says is brandy, is that they were making brandy. Oh, now in Dutch, yeah. that could be either grain or grape spirit. It's a spirit. Yeah. Well, it's like in in Scotland or Ireland, it will say aquavite, but it's like, what does that mean? What? Like, does yeah. that mean? That just means spirit. Yeah. Right. And so what, I mean, are they, are they aging it? Probably not. But again, you do have that, the, the Dutch DNA too, of the Geneva coming over very early to America, right? Which also leads to. Well, particularly because even in Pennsylvania and, and in a lot of places, Early on, if you made whiskey, you also made gin. Right. That was that was easy to do, and there was a market for it. So you so, kind of like today. Yeah, <laughs> you just exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, come all the exactly way around. Like, you know right. the micro distillers today. You know right. the wheel. I'm small. Spreading. I need money. There right. we go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I need it yeah. now. <laughs> they sold T-shirts. Right. They sold yeah. you know unaged whiskey. <laughs> yeah. They sold whatever they could sell. Well, a guy a guy would used to write for. Um, Whiskey advocate back way, I mean, when it was still like hand stapled. Yeah. Um, right. He came across some uh, stuff in Pennsylvania newspapers about the legislators drinking rye whiskey instead of beer because the beer would go flat during a full yeah. day's session. So they'd have they'd have <laughs> mugs of whiskey and they were arguing over whether it was better flavored with um, hot peppers, cherries, or tansy, the basil like wow. weed. Yeah yeah. 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 Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. That is really fascinating. We've definitely all come across this where you 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 realize that somebody has found something where they have found something important, but perhaps it's not the way that they have interpreted what that means. It's not accurate. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, then rye must have all had hot peppers, basil, and, and like 
cherries. Right, 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 right. And suddenly you have a product or you have many products that, you know, claim to be like where Dave and I did an episode about Navy screen June recently about, again, these things sort of take on a life of their own and people begin to, to, to make it and believe in it. And it turns into the whole thing. And then thing. they backfill the stories, you know, uh, <laughs> with adding extra details, which are all complete, you know, bullshit, but yeah. nonetheless, uh, people want detail in their stories. Always bring up because I've got a foot in both worlds. Beer, exactly the same way. Yeah. yeah. You know, the microbrewers make stuff up, made stuff up back in the day. Of course, now they just just throw a bunch of shit in the pot. and <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and let's not get started beer. on the state of American yeah, right. brewing yeah. right now. Um, we were doing but, so well. <laughs> <laughs> but they're making up all this all this shit about IPA, and I'm thinking, that's just like Monongahela Rye. Right. Yeah. All it takes is a couple facts, and then, you know, you get the shovel out and start filling it in. Well, what is funny, I mean, often, you know, it doesn't have to be rye, but often it's American whiskey where it will be like, we, we've, we, you know, since 18, whatever, we've, we've never changed a thing. And it's like, <laughs> okay, right, yeah. exactly. Like, you, you use the same type of grain, same type of rye. No, we use commercial rye. You, we used to grow it. Okay, well, that's going to make a difference. Obviously. And you're like, using donut tubs with, with with growing your own liquid yeast, right? Right. Well, exactly. we keep them in our gift shop. Right. <laughs> well, we've we have seen that. Like, yeah, exactly. They, they instead of propagating their own yeast, they're buying it. But we believe everything everything we see on a label from the 1850s. Oh, that must be gospel. They didn't lie then, did they? No, oh, no, they didn't. no. Americans were wow. honest people. Lou. Wow, honest. that's low, Lou. That's thank low. You. Thank you. But you're absolutely right too. I mean, that's honest. we've we've seen that too, where you're you you see a label and you're like, this this can't be. Mm. Or for what we were all all of us were working on the Oxford Companion to Spears and Cocktails. I think one of the nightmares that Dave had that went on for years was that. Oh, this brand, of course, is from this year because it's been on their label for 50 years, yeah. except it's not true. And it's we, not true. You begin to not want to believe anything, right? Because you're even even if it's a reference, you know, in an old ad and a label, because who knows if that was right either? Well, you know, you know what happened was in the 1870s and 1880s, they passed trademark laws. And so suddenly you could, you know, trademark and uh basically copyright your labels and you needed to put stuff on them. Right. So it's like, yeah, when were we founded? Well, you know, my grandfather bought the distillery. Uh, wait, who did anybody remember what year that was? Well, let's ask old Compton over there. You know, he's been working here for a long time and Compton goes, well, I reckon it was uh, 1801. <laughs> you know? And in fact, it was 1813. But who's going to say, you know, right. they didn't know they didn't have anywhere to look it up. Yeah. They, they didn't have the Internet. I do think that one of the few things that we can say with certainty is obviously, you know, we we referenced the three chambers still a few times today. Yeah. Aeneas Coffee comes along, patents his continuous column still in, in, in Ireland, and that changes the whole world of whiskey, right? And definitely affects American whiskey, where mm -hmm. I know Lou is a fan. You you wrote in defense of it to uh, Max Watman's, I remember his uh Ode to the pot still, Lou was like, how dare he? I want to write an ode to the column still. But it, whether you love it or hate it, most American whiskey, the distillers switch over to using the column still. Obviously, World War One 
World War II definitely helps, right? Yeah, World War II, they had to or, or go out of business. You know, it was the government said, and they they gave them money to rip out the old stills and put wow. in the column stills. And after World War II, the world was highly unstable. The Korean War comes along. And yeah. if you were thinking of going back to your old-fashioned stills, uh, you know, suddenly you're seeing, well, the government could shut us down again. And, right. uh, and tear the stills out, right? You're just not going to do it. Yeah. And Shenley, you know, who Louis Rosenstiel, who was running Shenley, was either the number one or number two company, depending on the week, was Seagram's. Bet that they would be shut down again. Right. Yeah. You know, fills his warehouses with Louis Game. And that's a whole other story. But again, I think, especially when we're talking about historic rye and rye styles, if somebody is using a column still today to make said historic whiskey, probably doesn't taste like it would have because it was probably made on a pot still or more likely on a chamber still, right? Which is like a completely I mean, that's different. Not to say it's bad whiskey no, at all. Not at all. You know, it's right. it's really good whiskey. It's different. Yeah. And 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 our friend Todd Leopold out in Denver. Some say he's mad, you know. Some well I mad, but now he's a, <laughs> he's now proven to be a genius. I hope Todd is listening. <laughs> Yeah. For the record, I called you a genius. Dave called you mad. I think it takes a lot of gumption to what he did. I think it takes a huge amount. He convinced, you know, uh, Stillmaker in, in in Louisville, who I'm sure they did not want to make the three chambers still, to make a three chambers still because he had found that a lot of the rye, the best ryes remain on it. Like until I tasted the aged rye whiskey that he has made, I wasn't sure if it would make that much of a difference, right? Because, you know, maybe maybe it wouldn't make that much of a difference, like, or it'd be a little bit different, or, you know, it'd be one of these things where it was richer, but it was the same. But, of course, the sample comes. It is nothing any rye whiskey I've ever had before. It's completely different. It's completely different. His idea of, you know, blending it with column still rye, which mm. perhaps was done too, you know, which were where he and Nicole Austin from Dickel have done a blend together. But that also... Tastes completely different. You know, it's 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 funny that that rye, the 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 pure three chamber still rye he made. I mean, it does taste a huge amount, and I've tasted them side by side, uh, like pre-prohibition rye. Ta I tasted it against a 1910s overhaul that somebody was kind enough to give sips around. You know, and uh, my goodness, you know, they were very close, but it's. Uh, Hard for people to make sense out of it. And I've seen the reviews for it. Most reviewers give it somewhere in the B plus range. You know, they're, they're like, well, I guess it's good. It's okay. I don't, you know. Those people can send me their bottle. And I'll happily finish yeah, it I'll for I'll gladly <laughs> take it because it doesn't taste like rye. Our friends at, at Dad's Hat have, have mentioned to me, Herman has said to me a number of times, well, I mean, it doesn't happen anymore. Because mm -hmm. things have, have come along. But he said, you know, he was telling me this pre-pandemic, they would get results back from uh, competitions and get yeah. the judges' notes. Yeah. And he's consistently, they were getting, not sure this is rye. Right. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's it's over 80% rye. Right. Yeah. I think he's got, I, I want to say 15% malt or 10%. I'm not sure. Yeah. Right. But it's rye and rye malt and malt. But it just, it doesn't taste, well, it doesn't taste like MGP rye. And it doesn't taste well, that's like the thing. Yeah, turkey it or heaven taste, hill rye. Yeah. yeah. Or bean. Right. Those are the options. Right. I mean, if we said rye, it was 
Wild Turkey, Heaven Hill, Ridden House, right? Pikesville Rye, Jim Beam, the yellow label from what I remember. And that yep. was an overhaul. And that was it. You, you know, I'm starting to get optimistic, though, because I've got like a stack of new rye upstairs, which uh, 10 years ago or whatever, uh, they would have been down in the basement on a shelf because I would have opened them and smelled them and said, oh, that's interesting. It needs more years. Uh, right. And I'm not going to drink this because it's too young. And I would put it downstairs. But now the surviving early, you know, micro, micro distillers and uh, craft distillers are turning out some fully aged whiskey. And it's yeah. kind of revolutionary. I got a lovely Catoctin Creek. Uh, yes. Whiskey that that is tasty. It doesn't taste like like the Leopold pre-prohibition style. No, it doesn't. You know, it, do, it, it doesn't taste like. Others, but it's theirs, and it's yeah, good. Yeah, and we're starting to see more and more of these. Starting to like some of the European ryes too. Yeah, I got a stunning rye from Denmark. Yes, it's young but tasty. Yeah, you know, and then yeah. a pretty disappointing one from Ireland that I'm not going to talk about. And ones, you know, uh, the ragtime rye or some of the other expressions that Alan Getz has been making. I was going to say that that ragtime rye is delicious stuff. It's really, really good. The one, especially with their their own. Uh, heirloom variety of rye. I mean, we're mm -hmm. again, I, I, if anything, Todd Leopold's three chamber rye kind of blew up everything that I thought I knew about rye, right? And, and out of the ashes of my knowledge, right? What I kind of realized, like, maybe it was never meant to taste like one thing, right? Like, maybe it wasn't, maybe there wasn't one style, right? Like, maybe I, they, I think that's right. That, that in fact, that was silly on our part that to assume yeah. that every rye tasted the same because how could they have right i mean i think we are we are much more formed by those regulations the standards of identity and and on top of that the tiny number of american distillers who were making whiskey right. for what 40 50 years it's the post war world right you know where everything got streamlined and homogenized and that's what we grew up with. And we thought all, all this whiskey has to taste like within yeah. a very narrow range of this. You and know? it's been and very it, hard uh, to break out of. But like you said, it, it kind it of is. blew things up. And yeah. and, and of yeah. course, co no coincidence, I'm sure, was that the standard is uh, identity, of course, perfectly dovetail with the three or four people making my whiskey. The shit that was already being made, yes. Right, so <laughs> I mean, the identity like basically fit what they were doing, which again, mm -hmm. I, I, I never really thought, well, maybe back in the day, and if you look back, of course, lo and behold, the definitions were different and people were doing different things, right? So it was a painful epiphany, but it's interesting because it sort of opened my mind that there were like rye, all rye wasn't going to be spice bombs and, you know, they weren't all going to taste the similar way, but also some of these ideas that like, you know, we're, we're the real thing or you're not the real thing. We don't know. <laughs> we don't right. know. <laughs> like, I mean, who's to say who's Bottom line. right. And stuff kind of like what you're saying about dad's hat that we would write off as not being rye yeah, enough. It's like rye. <laughs> might have actually been yeah. right on the money. There's an almost total lack of written tasting notes from American whiskey up until consumer reports in the night in the, like the 1930s. Yeah. You know, and 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 some magazines uh had started doing that. But before before like prohibition, 
Nobody wrote tasting notes on whiskey. And I think a lot of that <laughs> had to do with the fact that like you got what you got and you don't get upset. Like, you know, you go in a liquor store, they have mm-hmm. two choices or three, whatever it was like, you know, you know, there were, you know, bottles didn't really come in until well after the turn of the century. So the, the choice often wasn't that huge that people would have. So, That's you know, uh, you know, it's also, not like, you know, there was, there were, there were layers other layers of, of taste makers sort of in between right, absolutely. Consumers. You know, you would buy, you bought a lot of your whiskey in a bar, you know, right. And in the bottle and the bartender or the bar owner like blended it and, you know, stabilized it and made it taste like other whiskey. And so there were people doing that kind of stuff. Or too. how many grocers, nobody ever yeah, talks same. about the roots of whiskey go back to the grocery store, whether we're talking about the walkers in Scotland Wild Turkey, you know, goes back, you know, to Austin and Nichols in New right. York. They, they were that's their first business was 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 grocery, right? So, yeah, I mean, there's a house brand of X grocery mm-hmm. store. It, it was what it was. <laughs> Did yeah. you need because if because it's not like you could go to another store or another neighborhood and ask for that whiskey, they just wouldn't have it. I mean, that so there was no need to say what it was. That doesn't really help us. Yeah, there were there were very few national brands. There were a couple national brands of whiskey yeah. starting in the like 1880s, 1890s. You know, Old Crow you would see. For uh, sure. Uh Overholt was another one. Uh Mount Vernon Rye was was big. But there weren't that many. Not too long ago we watched uh the last weekend, Ray Milan. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he goes into the liquor store and he says, I want two bottles of rye whiskey and none of that Chi Chi 12-year-old stuff. Just plain rye whiskey. I'm like, ooh, Chi-Chi, nice. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, right? They didn't say, well, would you like the one with the hint of nutmeg, perhaps, sir? Or, you know, it's like, we have one that has, uh, has been aged in a uh, Sauterne barrel, perhaps. It's, uh, it's a limited. You know, I had one of those in my hand before we started. I and mean, it was, I can't remember what wood it was. And I'm just like, yeah, no, not for this. Not no. today. Yeah. Not today. Not today. You're like, I don't want Dave to yell at me. Um, <laughs> I'm a drinker, not a yeller. <laughs> you know, I think it's a very freeing concept, this idea of there were like, we don't really know what it was, but that also sort of leaves us in this morass of of not knowing like what it should be. And I guess the answer is, is the rye that you should be drinking is the one that you like. Yes. Make a rye that's good. Or, or at least know what you like, and then you can try to find other ones that taste. Yeah, the other thing I would right. say is 10 years ago, I wouldn't necessarily have said taste around because a lot of right. the stuff that was coming out was very, it was sure. underaged and and the people were kind of figuring it out. Do you, do you remember that, that weekend we were at uh, McSorley's? Yeah. Yeah, and you said to me, I am just waiting for a craft distiller to come out with a rye whiskey that's worth drinking. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and they have. They have. <laughs> they have. That was that was almost seven years ago. Things are a lot different. But now I'd say now is the time to taste around. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, for for these heavy pot stilled whiskeys, four years probably, especially rise, four years probably isn't enough. These you need like sorted six out. years in the barrel to, yeah. to yeah. tame them. But there's a lot of stuff that's got like five, six, seven years as much as 10 years now in the barrel. And if you can get your hands on that, that's worth trying because some of that stuff is really good and it's different. That's the best part. 
and what a wonderful problem for all of us to have, right? Literally, you know, if you if you had told somebody to taste around rye, you know, 15 years ago, I mean, three bottles, right? I mean, if, if they could get them. I know, seriously, they'd be back the next morning, like, what else you got? Nothing. That's it. You yeah. tasted the whole, <laughs> you know, the whole category. Like, you are a rye whiskey expert now. You've tasted all three bottles. Like, but now, like, you know, it's it's kind of amazing. And I don't think any of us 15, 20 years ago, if you told us that there would be this breath and depth of rye whiskey yeah. out there, we would, I would have laughed. It's good time. It's good times. The only problem is it's sort of a case by case basis. We don't, we're starting to get like regional styles back. Yeah. And I wanted, I think that's useful because if, if you say, all right, this is what I like in rye, you know, and I can tolerate some difference, but that I don't really care for. It's good to have like a place you can go for, you yeah. know, it's, it's, I, 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 that's why like bourbon became popular. It was like, there's whiskey from all over in America, but that stuff was like, okay, it had like a focus to it. And a focus is good for distillers, you know, it's like, so let, 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 let's, let's see what's happening with that. I mean, I hope this uh, Monongahela initiative, you know, re really comes through. It's, uh, it's very, very interesting. I mean, uh, it would be great. I would just be happy. You, you talked before about East, Eastern rye versus Western rye, which used to be mm -hmm. sort of the way that we would demarcate different ryes at the turn of the century or so, right? I would love it if we had a pickle sticker that demarcated <laughs> ryes that had the dill pickle note versus ryes oh. that do not have the dill pickle <laughs> note. Because that would be incredibly helpful, I think. Because you know, you're gonna have to get those made and you're gonna have to go around right. liquor stores <laughs> secretly sticking them on bottles. <laughs> Very polarizing that note, I can tell you right <laughs> now. Um and and that's you know, in taste. I just want you to keep saying the word. That's all I that's all I want. Pickle sticker is a funny damned word. That's a funny damn word. <laughs> and that way, and people some people love it. They love that dill flavor, yeah. and other people yeah. it's 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 the last thing that they want in their cocktail yeah, their class. Cool. So, I mean, like, let's just start there. Let's start with the simple ones. <laughs> Get to the more complex. <laughs> well, as, as always, Lou, thank you for coming on. Always a pleasure, Lou. Yeah. Good to see you guys. Solving all of our rye problems. So we appreciate that. We'll have to, we'll have to talk more about rye, you know, soon. Yes. There's plenty to, we, I think we just kind of scratched the surface. Yeah, I'd kind of like to get to more of that uh, Stouting and Zudan stuff. Yes, yeah, Europeans in. international rye. Yeah, I think they're doing some really interesting things. Well, I'll drink to that. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fix Me a Drink. Dave and I encourage you to always drink responsibly. Cheers. <laughs>